Father, we once again just declare that we love you and we are so grateful to know you and to be in your presence here as, as a church. And God, we, we now ask for your help as we turn our attention to your word. We pray that you would teach us and speak to us and help us understand uh, what we're about to read. God, we pray that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged and challenge us where we need to be challenged and that you, just by your spirit, would open our eyes. And we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, hey, why don't you go ahead and open your Bible with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Again, if you need a Bible, no problem. There are some on the seats in front of you. Again, that's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. We took a break in our Life in Exile series last week as we celebrated Easter Sunday. And again, welcome back, everyone. The good news is that Jesus is still alive this week. He's still risen, and so we continue the, the celebration and uh, the joy and worship of Jesus together. Again, we're back in 1 Peter chapter 3, where we've been for some time just walking through this book of the New Testament that's talking to Christians and instructing them on how to live life in exile, meaning they're away from home as Christians. They're kind of out of place and out of sorts uh, in the world around them, and so how do you follow Jesus faithfully in that environment? And uh, today should be fun because we're talking about things like husbands and wives and gender roles within marriage and things like submission and sacrifice. And we were thinking, just what would be a real crowd pleaser after Easter Sunday? You know, people came on Easter, like, hey, I kind of like this. Let's come back. What could we do to make them really, you know, really comfortable and do a topic that everyone's going to really enjoy. And so we're like, sweet, gender roles. That'll be great. Let's preach on that. Just kidding. That's not how we made that decision. Um, but apparently the Lord did because uh, this is just the next text in First Peter. This is where we find ourselves as we're walking through this book. And so uh, we're going to do what we do every week, and that's go to God's Word and seek to understand it together, read it, uh, Come with open hearts, humble hearts, to what God has to say and trust that he is good and his word is true and he's going to speak to us. So uh, with that, let's read the first few verses and then we'll start walking through it together. 1 Peter 3 verse 1 says this, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So as we get started here, we have to remember the context. Again, in this section of 1 Peter, Peter is talking to these Christians in the first century and helping them understand how to live in exile. And he's made clear to them that their ultimate allegiance is to Jesus. Jesus is their Lord, their, their Savior, and their King, However, they also have these responsibilities and relationships in society. 
And so they're to conduct themselves in a certain way. And so he's talked about their relationship to the government and honoring those in authority over them. He's talked to slaves and masters. And we've talked about what that looked like and how maybe an employer-employee relationship today could be similar. So how do you conduct yourself in the workplace, in the public square? And now he's turning his attention to husbands and wives in a home. And these are what we would call, again, the household codes, which is Peter's, and we see this elsewhere in Scripture, these instructions in the New Testament on how Christians are to live in light of certain relationships. And so we see here that these aren't just arbitrary instructions, that Peter's just pulling these out of nowhere and saying, hey, I feel like talking about this now. No, it, it all fits because he's wanting these Christians to show the watching world what Jesus looks like through their conduct, through their behavior. He wants the watching world to be able to see who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. You see, following Jesus in the first century could be disruptive, right? Life in exile was not always easy or simple. One scholar put it this way, commentary, Karen Jobes is her name. She says, the conversion of either spouse in the first century held the potential for serious problems for the couple and within society. Because there's confusion now about how their new identity in Christ should affect their relationship to their unbelieving spouse, how this changed roles in social hierarchy. See, in the ancient world, men and husbands had virtually all the power, all the control, all the say-so in public and in their homes, women weren't even expected to have friends of their own. They were only allowed to have the same friends that their husbands had. Now, women, I ask you, do you, do you like your husband's friends? <laughs> maybe. Maybe at least you have options today, right, for, for friendships. In the same way, <clears throat> wives were expected to worship the same gods as their husband. And so, if a, a woman in the first century became a Christian, but their husband did not, there was already this sense of violating the ideal of an orderly home because the wife is now stepping out from the authority of her husband and is following Jesus when he is not. And so these early Christians are trying to figure out, okay, how do I work out this new identity in Christ, this freedom I have in Christ, this, this new family, this new community that I am a part of, where as a woman I have incredible dignity and value and worth, and I'm on equal footing with men. I mean, historians can look at, at the incredibly high status that, that women enjoyed in Christian communities in the first century compared to the world around them. Women were lifted up. Jesus treated women with incredible dignity and respect. Women were to, to learn, able to learn, when in the outside world they often were not. Women were to use their gifts and labor alongside men in the ministry of the gospel. And so now they're trying to figure out, okay, if all that is true, how do I carry myself still in my home with my husband and in a world that's still dominated by men? How do I live out this freedom in Christ. So Peter addresses them and he says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over. So he starts with in the same way, which again puts us back in the context of this section of the passage where Peter is talking about 
honoring authority, respecting those in leadership over you, whether it's in the government or employers or elsewhere. And so this would apply to husbands as well. And I know, I know this sounds so strange to modern ears. Right? This command, it's like, wait, what? To us? It sounds confusing. It sounds uh, backwards. But understand that in this culture, in the first century world, this command would not be confusing or strange at all. It would be expected. It would be normal. People would just be nodding along. Yeah, yeah, that's, that makes sense. That's what a wife is supposed to do. But what Peter's saying here is to continue to live in that way so that your husbands will be open to hearing the gospel and may be won over. Right? Isn't that what he says? He says that they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. And so, he's saying, wives, rather than using your freedom in Christ to fight and struggle against your husband and his authority, he's saying, I want you to submit to them. I want you to honor and follow their leadership in your home. And this doesn't mean that you just never question them and do whatever they ask. Obviously, because already by following Jesus, they're stepping out from the authority of their husbands. So there's already a measure of this isn't just like a no matter what, do what he says, because your ultimate allegiance is to Jesus. But what he is saying is that I want you to have a general disposition of, of willingness to trust him towards his desires. By following Jesus, again, there's already probably plenty of tension and conflict in the home. And so he's saying, don't unnecessarily add to that. So I want your husbands to see in your lives this conduct, this way you love them, this way that you serve them, and that that would show them who Jesus is. Continues in verse 3. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. We'll talk about that in a second. Which is of great worth in God's sight. He's saying your beauty in this world is not primarily an issue of external adornment, an exterior concern, what you wear, your hairstyle, the jewelry you have, the nice clothes that you wear. This is especially relevant today in our culture where there's still this draw to, to shopping and nice clothes and, and beauty, similar issues today. And his point is not that new clothes or that doing your hair a certain way is in itself bad. Like if you went and got your hair done yesterday, I don't want you to feel bad this morning. Okay, that's not, that's not the point. But he's saying uh, there's a priority here where your inner life, your character, your spirit, your walk with the Lord, that's what I want to be most visible to those around you. How you live, how you conduct yourselves, God sees that, it's precious, that's where your focus should be. So he calls them to the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, and again, there we have to be careful, he's not talking about uh, women uh, and how they shouldn't be extroverts, or wives can't have a, a big personality or wives should be, be timid. That's not what he's saying. But the idea here is that he wants these wives not to be overly critical 
of their husbands, to be uh, aggressive and constantly challenging them and harping on them about their need to become a Christian. He's saying, that's it's not going to work well. Right? Just badgering them. You need to be a Christian. You need to be a Christian. You need to go to church. He's saying, that's not going to work well. Okay? And that's not going to work well. Rather, really for anyone who's in a marriage with a spouse who doesn't follow Jesus, it's not going to work. But the idea is that if you live out your faith before them, live out the gospel in front of them, the hope is that they would see it and see who Jesus is and how you live. And so he gives them this example. For this is the way that holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. Gives them an example. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. Again, not that in the same way that Jesus is Lord, but this is a term of respect in that culture, term of honor. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So he's saying, look at Sarah back in the Old Testament. She submitted to her husband, she trusted her husband, Abraham, even though, let's be honest, Abraham was a fool in a lot of ways, did some really foolish things, and yet she honored him as her husband. He made a lot of bad decisions, but she modeled what it looked like to submit and to trust him. And so you can see in this text that Peter's doing two things. He's both upholding the social order of the day in hopes that people would be open to hearing the gospel, and he's subverting it. He's subverting, he's telling these, remember, your ultimate allegiance is not to your husband. It's to Jesus. He is your ultimate authority, not your husband. And so you don't cower in fear before your husband, right, at the end of this, and do not give way to fear. No, but in strength and in the freedom that you have in Christ, you can willingly choose to honor your husband and his leadership in the home. How are we doing? All right. Stay with me. The big, big question here, okay, with this text, really any text, any passage we come to in the Bible, we have to ask this question. What in this text is a, a temporary cultural teaching that is for that time specifically, and what in the text is uh, transcending culture and goes beyond just the first century audience and applies to, to all people in all places, including us today, right? That's the question. What here is for back then and what here is for today? As we consider that question, it's difficult for us because we have to acknowledge the sensitive territory that we're now walking into in our current cultural climate. In our current cultural moment, in recent history, we have seen, tragically, men abusing their power to mistreat and objectify women. No doubt you're familiar with the Me Too movement, whether it's in uh, the news or in social media. We've seen women coming forward in droves with stories and stories of how men have abused them, have used their power to rape them, to treat them in a demeaning way in, in public and in their homes. 
We've seen this from those in practically every sphere of life, whether it's entertainment, sports, politics, churches, religious leaders. Churches are not immune to this. And people have used even verses like this to silence women, to prolong their suffering. And so let's be clear, can we, as a church, as we get started, that when men use their power or their authority anywhere to abuse or mistreat women, that is evil. (laughs) Completely evil. Ungodly. To be rejected in the strongest possible terms with no qualifications. It's anti-gospel. It is against the message of Jesus. And so know that our church has no interest in being a safe haven for controlling or manipulative men, husbands or abusers in that way. For me, Pastor Lee, our leadership here, we take this very seriously. And if you are here and you are in a situation of abuse or being mistreated, we want to help you, we want to listen to you, we want to stand with you. And maybe you're here this morning and you come to a text like this, 1 Peter chapter 3, and you say, see, Bible passages like this are part of the problem. Telling women to submit, you're, you're, you're creating a male-dominated culture that's ripe for abuse, and maybe that's the reason you don't trust the Bible. Yeah, it's just yeah, written in the ancient world, it's written by human beings, so it's not good or right. Or maybe you're here this morning and you wouldn't land in that camp, but you would look at a text like this and argue that what Peter's doing here is he's telling wives to submit to their husbands as a uh, accommodation, an accommodation made to an ancient culture. So even though the values of the kingdom uh, are of equality and don't include any sort of submission or leadership from men, you would say, in order to help people hear the gospel back then, Peter told them to function in this way, but now those gender norms have changed, and so we don't have to apply these texts in the same way. And let me say, plenty of of people who love Jesus and who love the Bible would land in that camp, okay? Where they would say, hey, see what it was doing back then? It's not the same for today, but still uphold the authority of Scripture. I know plenty of people who are there. I think, and you're going to see where I'm coming from here, I think the problem with that approach is that we we look elsewhere in Scripture and we see similar commands. Wives submitting to husbands, husbands lovingly leading their wives. Uh, Throughout the New Testament, most notably Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 33, where Paul says a similar thing. Wives submit to husbands, husbands love your wives. And the commands there, elsewhere, are not rooted in a temporary cultural moment. The way they argue for that design is connecting it back to God's will and the way God has designed a marriage to work. And so I think we see elsewhere in Scripture that these commands transcend any particular cultural moment, and though they have been misunderstood and misapplied, they still mean something for us today. And so, our hope, our challenge is to not throw out the proverbial 
baby with the bathwater, but really seek to understand, okay, what is the, the good and right and true application of this text for us today, for wives to submit to husbands and husbands to lead and love their wives. And we're going to talk to husbands in, in a minute. Don't worry. Um, but I want to first talk for a minute about, again, what does this not mean? Okay, because as I was preparing this week, there was really a genuine just burden on my heart that I was praying, Lord, please help this text. Help me communicate this in such a way that this text is not misunderstood. Help me, Lord, communicate this in such a way that this is not used to squash women or deflate women. And so we've got to talk about what does this text not mean? First, it doesn't mean, submission does not mean that women are less than men or that women are inferior to men. That is not a biblical concept. We look back to the first pages of the Bible and we see sameness for men and women. Sameness, I know that's a strange word, but they're they're presented as equals before God, both made in the image of God, called to obey God and fulfill his purposes in the world. And so submission is not because one gender is better or more fit than the other, worth more in God's eyes, absolutely not. This also does not mean uh, anything really about what women should or should not do career-wise, what job you should have or should not have, or who should work and who should stay home or who needs to make more money. Uh, That's not what this passage is talking about. And so that that conversation is not what this is about. Again, because it's not saying that, that women should submit to men. It's saying a wife can submit to her husband, okay? So it's very different. It's not just saying, like, women, wherever you go, submit to men. No, that's not what it's saying. It's also not saying that women should not think for themselves. It's not saying that. That, yeah, your husband makes the decisions, you're along for the ride, just embrace all of their opinions, all of their values, whatever they say, you believe that as well. No, it's not what this is saying. You have a brain as well, and you need to use it as well and bring that to the table, of course, This also does not mean that women are to stay with abusive husbands. This text is not to be understood to say, oh, just just stay in that abusive marriage. No, we want to help you get out of that if that's the case. This does not mean that you have no say in decisions. But again, husband, you lead, you make the call, I'll just be over here. No, your contributions, your gifts, your wisdom, your insight needs to be brought to the table so that your family steps forward and thrives under God. And so, with those qualifiers, and there could be more, with every possible qualifier in place, what does this mean? I think it's saying that, in general, wives are to have this willingness to trust and respect their husband's leading, to have a character of inner beauty and encouragement, and I can tell you how incredibly powerful it is when, when a wife builds up her husband, speaks well of her husband, believes that her husband is competent, encourages him. It's incredibly life-giving. The frustrating part about this text uh, is that it's incredibly, uh, doesn't mention a lot, excuse me, about specifics, right? It just says, submit to husbands, husbands lovingly lead your wives. We see this elsewhere in scripture, but it doesn't give a lot of detail. It doesn't say, hey, do this, don't do this. Do this, don't do this. It doesn't unpack that for us in any of the passages, really. 
I think there's a reason for that because submission is going to look different in each culture that it's worked out. And so for us today, it's going to look a little different, a lot different than it did back then, than it would elsewhere in other parts of the world today. And so it's for, for each couple, each marriage, husband and wife, to figure out what does this mean for us? How can we on, honor one another in this way today? But the point and the, the heart of this for, for wives that Peter's trying to get at is I want you to display Jesus. I want your husband to be able to see Jesus in you. I want the watching world to see Jesus in you. That's what this whole section is about, modeling Jesus. Jesus, who is anything but inferior. He was not inferior. He was not less than, and yet he submitted himself to authority, to God's will, the Father's direction. So, continue to verse 7. Husbands, husbands, he says, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. We'll talk about that in a second. Don't worry. And as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, remember, first six verses here. Wives, submit to your husbands. That would be normal. That would be expected. That wouldn't raise any eyebrows. People would be nodding along. Yep, sounds good. But here, here, whoa, wait a minute, Peter. Whoa, what are you doing? Turning the attention on us like that. See, it wasn't normal or expected to put these sorts of obligations on the husband. Because in that culture, again, the husband's in charge. The husband has the privilege of authority. And so, well, what do you mean? We have obligations. And Peter's saying, yeah, you do. You're not off the hook. You have a responsibility to love your wife, and you have to display Jesus and how you treat her. And so he says in the text, be considerate as you live with your wife. And I actually don't think that's the a strong enough translation for what this word is trying to get across, not just be considerate. Maybe your translation says, live in an understanding way. Live with your wife with, with knowledge. And so the idea isn't just, oh, be, be considerate every once in a while, but it's, it's know your wife. Live in an understanding way with her. Know her desires. Know her heart. Seek to meet her needs. Help her to flourish in all of life, in all of her giftings. And so don't just throw up your hands and say, women, who can understand them? Not even going to try. I gave up years ago trying to understand my No. Say, no, live with your wife in an understanding way. Be a student. Remember when you were dating? The initiative you took, the creativity you took to get to know her, to, to learn her heart, what she's passionate about, what she cares about in the world, her strengths, where she wants to go in the future, where she's coming from, her family. Learn what matters to her. Live with her in an understanding way. Be sensitive to her needs and seek to help her flourish. And verse 7 continues. Respect her as, it says, the weaker partner. Now, he's not saying that women are spiritually weak or emotionally weak or less than, but in general, though exceptions exist, in general, men 
have more physical strength than their wives. Okay, I'm not saying that every husband would win an arm wrestling match with his wife. I'm just saying, in general, men have more physical strength. So he's saying, your wife is weaker than you, which means you need to respect her, protect her, honor her. Do not use her physical weakness as an opportunity to push her around or to be domineering or to be threatening or to be abusive. Honor her. Also, she's weaker in the eyes of society. She's more vulnerable in the first century. She has less power. She has less privilege. And so don't exploit that. No. Your job as her husband is to care for her, lift her up, protect her, use your power, use whatever authority you have in the world for her good. And so do you see what he's doing? Like Paul does elsewhere, he's completely changing and redefining their understanding of leadership and their understanding of authority. He's saying it's not about privilege. It's about responsibility. This is not about you, husbands, using your authority in the home to get your way. It's not about you having the, the say-so in every category, saying, I'm in charge, and so I'm going to make demands, and so my way goes because I'm the husband. No, he's saying, your leadership in the home is to be used to meet the needs of your wife and put her needs above yours. That's what this leadership arrangement is supposed to look like. It's supposed to cherish her, respect her, understand her, that she would flourish. It's not about you, husband. Former pastor of mine put it this way. He said, the measure of a man is the countenance of his wife. The measure of a man is the countenance of his wife. So are you husbands doing everything you can to make your wife flourish? That she would thrive. That she would embrace her giftings. Follow God in the world and how he has called her. See, husbands, we're supposed to display Jesus too. But we do that by laying down our life for the good of our wives. Ephesians 5 puts it this way. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So how did Jesus love the church? He died for the church. He sacrificed himself. He set his needs aside and lived for the good of his people. So husbands, you do the same. You lay down your lives. Put yourself last so that your wife could be lifted up and encouraged and flourish in every way. See, I know, again, for wives hearing this, again, not every wife is going to be eager to submit. But let me tell you, most husbands aren't eager to die to themselves either. And so really, this, this is difficult for Everybody to embrace this and to live this out. Another quick word on, on, on submission and what it doesn't mean. This is really important, husbands. It's not your job to make your wife submit. It's not our job to make our wives submit. Notice in the text, who is that teaching given to? It's given to the wife saying, hey, submit to your husbands. 
So it's not, it's not your job. It's not saying, hey, husbands, make sure your wife submit. No. It says wives, submit. That's, you can figure that out and work with that. But husbands, your job is to love and honor and respect and understand your wife. So that's where your focus needs to be. Don't worry about whether or not she submits. That's not your concern. Your concern, sacrificially love her. Do everything you can to bless her and your family. One scholar put it this way. He said, I believe in a wife submitting to her husband, but I don't believe the husband ever has the right to demand it. I think most who study these passages will point out that yes, submission is, is there, but if you ever notice a husband focusing too much on submission, talking about it too much, it's probably evidence that he's missed the point. Like if, if one of you would come to my office and were frustrated and said, Matt, my wife's not submitting to me, and I'm, I'm mad about that. I say, that's not your concern. That's evidence that you have missed the point. It's not where your focus should be. Don't worry about that. What you need to worry about is are you loving your wife, sacrificing for her, pouring out your life for her? That's your concern. Leave the rest to her. So again, we, we get in this place where we go, well, what if, what if she won't respond to this passage? Or, or maybe wives, what if, what if my husband won't respond to this passage and he doesn't want to love me sacrificially? What do I do then? And we can't. The good news is that we can't control our spouses, and we're not supposed to. So we can control what we can control, which is your part in all this. You don't need permission to live out your part in this. Husbands, we don't need permission to lovingly serve our wives, to lay down our lives in every way for the good of our wives. We don't need permission to do that. Wives, you don't need permission from your husband to, to love them, respect them, honor them, serve them, consider their needs above your own. We can all jump into this no matter what our spouse does. And so, because you see, for both spouses, the point is what? Love and service to one another. Mutual love and support. Putting each other's needs above your own. Both spouses are called to this. And so the question of who's in charge really shouldn't come up that often. It's really pretty rare when we have to go to that place. If you're both seeking to meet the needs of your spouse above your own. It's gonna work beautifully, and not that it's easy, not that there aren't challenges. He continues, verse seven, as heirs, this is a big piece of this, he says, as heirs with you, respecting your wives, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Two things here you notice in the text. What well, one is that men, if you're mistreating your wives, it will hinder your prayers. If you're mistreating your wives, God will not listen to you. Do you see how serious this is? But second, he says that wives are heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. And so this new life that you have in Christ, you stand on equal footing, together as heirs with the same destiny, the same inheritance, life forever in the kingdom of God with Jesus and with all of God's people. You share in this together. You're co-heirs. You're on equal footing before God. And again, this stresses the concept of sameness. Back in Genesis 1, men and women, incomplete without one another. Same purpose, same destiny, to honor God and glorify him in all of life. And so, 
1 Peter 3, 1 to 7, the point is that husbands and wives both would reflect Jesus. That we all would reflect Jesus to a watching world. Kathy Keller put it this way. This is wife of Tim Keller, who in her own right is a scholar and author, incredible woman. She puts it this way. It's kind of a long quote, but the relationship of Jesus to the church has been made the model for that of a husband and wife. We, the church, submit to Christ in everything, and the parallel of a wife submitting everything to her husband. It's no longer daunting, since we know what kind of behavior the husband has been called on to imitate. To what role must he submit to that of the Savior, a servant leader who uses his authority and power to express a love that doesn't even stop at dying for the beloved. Both women and men get to play the Jesus role in marriage. Jesus in his sacrificial authority for husbands, Jesus in his sacrificial submission for wives. So by accepting our gender roles and operating within them, we are able to demonstrate to the world concepts that are so counterintuitive as to be completely unintelligible unless they're lived out by men and women in Christian marriages. So you see what she's saying? Men and women both play the Jesus role. The goal is that men and women both would display Jesus to the watching world, that people would see the gospel, the gospel that we celebrate every week of a Savior who came, who died for us, to forgive us of our sins through faith in him. And no work of our own, we can have eternal life and salvation, a relationship with this God in his good world forever. So husbands and wives in marriage are to display this. I know this may have stirred up maybe more questions than answers. And so I know that there might be follow-up to this. would love to let this be just the beginning of a conversation and a dialogue. Again, I know that people are coming from different places on these passages, and so we'd love to talk about it in our small groups. I know everyone's looking forward to their small group this week. You have some conversation about this um, and really explore what it looks like. But until then, I want to just encourage you, if, if you're married, to uh, embrace a little homework here. And it's really simple. It hinges on communication. Husbands, I want to encourage you to ask your your wife, this week, maybe later today, just one question. Are there any areas in our marriage where you do not feel loved, understood, or honored? Husbands, ask your wife, are there any areas in our marriage where you don't feel loved, understood, and honored? And then, wives, I encourage you to likewise ask your husband. Are there any areas in our marriage where you don't feel respected, trusted, or honored in our marriage? And hopefully, it can spark a healthy dialogue about how we both can more reflect Jesus towards one another. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, we love you, and you are the hero of this passage. This text reminds us of the gospel, how you laid down your life for us, how you love your people. You died for us, that we all might have life and forgiveness of sins and be redeemed through faith in you. 
God, we ask for your help as we seek to understand this passage and apply it in our lives and in our marriages. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, whether we are, are married or single, husbands or wives, you, you would help all of us to reflect you to a watching world. We know that that's the heart of this section of 1 Peter, that we would display you, Jesus, to those around us. Help us live that out. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.